Greetings to you today. It's Nick Smoo Engel speaking, and I'm going to read today from David Wilkerson's book, The Cross and the Switchblade, chapter 1. The whole strange adventure got its start late one night when I was sitting in my study reading Life magazine and turned a page. At first glance, it seemed that there was nothing on the page to interest me. It carried a pen drawing of a trial taking place in New York City, 350 miles away. I'd never been to New York, and I never wanted to go, except perhaps to see the Statue of Liberty. I started to flip the page over, but as I did, my attention was caught by the eyes of one of the figures in the drawing. A boy, one of seven boys on trial for murder. The artist had caught such a look of bewilderment and hatred and despair in his features. So it's quite a combination of emotions. Such a look of bewilderment, hatred and despair in his features that I opened the magazine wide again to get a closer look. And as I did, I began to cry. It's interesting, I'm just thinking about Life magazine. I've written in my margin here that Cornell Kappa took the photographs of the Jim Elliott five killings uh, after they'd been killed um, the missionaries that were um, killed in the Ecuadorian Amazon jungle and there's that amazing story of how that tribe came to to Christ through their faith anyway back to Wilkerson um, so he began to cry what's the matter with me I said aloud, impatiently brushing away a tear. I looked at the picture more carefully. The boys were all teenagers. They were members of a gang called the Dragons. Beneath their picture was the story of how they had gone into Highbridge Park in New York and had brutally attacked and killed a 15-year-old polio victim named Michael Farmer. The seven boys stabbed Michael in the back seven times with their knives, then beat him over the head with garrison belts. They went away wiping blood through their hair, saying, We messed him good. The story revolted me. It turned my stomach. In our little mountain town, such things seemed mercifully unbelievable. That's why I was dumbfounded by a thought that sprang suddenly into my head, full-blown, as though it had come into me from somewhere else. Go to New York City and help those boys. I laughed out loud. Me? 
go to New York, a country preacher barge into a situation he knows less than nothing about. Go to New York City and help those boys. The thought was still there, vivid as ever, apparently completely independent of my own feelings and ideas. I'd be a fool. I know nothing about kids like that. I don't want to know anything. It was no use. The idea would not go away. I was to go to New York and furthermore I was to go at once while the trial was still in progress. In order to understand what a complete departure such an idea was for me, it is necessary first to know that until I turned that page, mine had been a very predictable life. Predictable but satisfying. The little mountain church which I served in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania, had grown slowly but steadily. We had a new church building, a new parsonage, a swelling missionary budget. There was satisfaction for me in our growth because four years earlier when Gwen and I first drove into Phillipsburg as candidates for the empty pulpit, the church didn't even have a building of its own. The congregation of 50 members was meeting in a private house, using the upstairs as the parsonage and the downstairs for the sanctuary. When the pulpit committee was showing us around, I remember Gwen's heel went right through the parsonage floor. Things do need fixing up a bit, admitted one of the churchwomen, a large lady in a cotton print dress. I remember noticing that her hands had little cracks around the knuckles and that the cracks were filled with dirt from farm work. We'll just leave you to look around. And so Gwen continued her tour of the second floor alone. I could tell by the way she was closing doors that she was unhappy. But the real blow came when she opened a kitchen drawer. I heard her scream and rushed upstairs. They were still there scurrying about seven or eight big fat black cockroaches. Gwen slammed the door, door shut. Oh Dave, I just couldn't, she cried. And without waiting for me to answer, she raced to the hall and ran down the stairs, her heels clacking loudly. I made hurried apologies to the committee and followed Gwen over to the hotel, the only hotel in Phillipsburg, where I found her waiting for me with the baby. I'm sorry, honey, Gwen said. They're such nice people, but I'm scared to death of cockroaches. She was already packed. It was obvious that as far as Gwen was concerned, Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania would have to find another candidate. But things didn't work out that way. We couldn't go before evening because I was scheduled to preach the Sunday night service. I don't remember that it was a good sermon, yet something about it seemed to strike the 50 people in this little house church. Several of the rough-handed farmers sitting there before me were blowing into their handkerchiefs. I wound up the sermon and was mentally getting into my car and driving out through the hills away from Phillipsburg when suddenly one 
old gentleman stood right up in the service and said, Reverend Wilkerson, will you come and be our pastor? It was a rather unorthodox thing to do, and it caught everyone by surprise, including my wife and me. The people in this small assembly of God church had been trying to choose between several candidates. They had been deadlocked for weeks, and now old Mr. Mayer, Umaya, was taking matters into his own hands and inviting me from the floor. But instead of drawing fire, he found himself surrounded by nodding heads sure, and voices of approval. Thinking of that passage in Acts where Paul says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to appoint some as overseers. So it seems that the Holy Spirit's really speaking to the to the people there with a corporate agreement. Perhaps one could say a Trinitarian unity. You go outside for a minute and talk it over with your wife, Mr. Mayer said. We'll join you. Outside in the dark car, Gwen was silent. Debbie was asleep in her wicker basket in the back seat. Our suitcase was propped up against, well, uh, propped up next to her, packed and ready to go, and in Gwen's silence was a quiet protest against cockroaches. We need help, Gwen, I said hurriedly. I think we should pray. Ask him about those roaches, Gwen said darkly. All right, I'll do that. I bowed my head there in the dark outside the little church. I made an experiment in a special kind of prayer which seeks to find God's will through a sign. Putting a fleece before the Lord, it is called, because Gideon, when he was trying to find God's will for his life, asked that a sign be made with a fleece. He placed a lamb's fleece on the ground and asked him to send down dew everywhere but there. In the morning the ground was soaked with dew, but Gideon's fleece was dry. God had granted him a sign. Lord, I said aloud, I would like to put a fleece before you now. Here we are, ready to go. Ready to do your will, if we can just find out what it is. Lord, if you want us to stay here in Phillipsburg, we ask that you let us know by having the committee vote for us unanimously and let them decide of their own accord to fix up the parsonage with a decent refrigerator and stove. And Lord, said Gwen, interrupting, because just then the front door of the church opened and the committee started towards us. Let them volunteer to get rid of those cockroaches. The whole congregation followed the committee outside and gathered around the car where Gwen and I now stood. Mr. Mayer cleared his throat as he spoke. Sorry, as he spoke, Gwen squeezed my hand in the dark. Reverend and Mrs. Wilkerson, he said, he paused and commenced again. Brother David, Sister Gwen, we've taken a vote and everyone agrees that we want you to be our new pastor, 100%. If you decide to come, we'll fix up the parsonage, dot, dot, dot. And 
you'll need to wait to hear the next part unless you get the the book. So I'm going to stop there, leaving us hanging. Um, so the reason I've chosen to read from this book today is because it's such a meaningful uh, and powerful anointed story. And you may know it. There's a movie about it. It's about um, Dave Wilkerson working among the gangs in New York and a famous uh, gangster or gang leader by the name of Nicky Cruz um, confronting Dave Wilkinson and saying, I can chop you into a thousand pieces with this knife. And Dave responding, yes, you can do that. You can throw the pieces on the sidewalk and every piece will say, I love you. And Jesus loves you. And so that's the bottom line. Jesus loves you. And this is an amazing story. God bless you and thank you for, for listening. And uh, I might read some more. But there's an introduction uh, to the book nonetheless. I just want to pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, draw us to yourself. I'm reminded, Lord, of Augustine who said, You've made, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So I thank you, Lord, for each listener that each person finds their rest in you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. Until next time, goodbye.